0: Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse. Co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids.
1: And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press.
0: And of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. And if you haven't started checking him out on YouTube uh, once a week in the evenings, you need to check that out over on the DBB YouTube channel. Omari though, before we get into this one, and we got a lot to get into, some real exciting stuff, got Pistons Twitter, in the fan base. Lots of conversation, but we have to shout out somebody very, very special to the pod first.
1: Yeah, uh, it's the big 6 for my dad today, Amari Sankofa. The original Amari Sankofa. I feel you met him at the live show we had at HopCat earlier this year. And he's 60, so happy birthday, Dad. Uh, big shout out to you. And actually, he'll be at the Pistons game on Friday, too. So got him some I mean, he goes back since the bad boys. So these, of a lot of people in this chat, Doug, Doug might be the only one who's, who's in contention for longest fandom.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, your dad, man, he don't look 60 either, man. He, he looks good. He's active. He loves the Pistons. He asked some great questions when we did the live show at HopCat. So shout out to the original Omari Sankofa. Happy birthday. I hope you have a great one. Let's get into some quick results, and then we're going to talk Killian Hayes. We're going to talk Cade, Asar, Jaden Ivey, who we haven't seen the last couple games, and then some general thoughts. So since we last recorded Amari, Pistons are now in a five-game losing streak, two and six, a nine-point loss to the Blazers who didn't have Anthony Simons, a nine-point loss to the Pelicans who didn't have Zion or Brandon Egram, a 14-point loss to the Suns, no Bill or Booker in that one, and then a full-strength Warriors team, they lose by 11. Now the Pistons themselves... All four of those games did not have Morris, Burks, Livers, or Boyon. Ivy's missed the last two. During this, the first and last of that fourth four-game stretch, Joe Harris missed the last one. Before we get into Killian Hayes, any takeaways just from this four-game stretch since we last recorded?
1: Yeah, they need guys back. (laughs) You know, that's my takeaway. They only had seven healthy players on standard contracts against the Golden State Warriors last night. And, I mean, credit to them. It was competitive pretty much until the last three or four minutes. I mean, they really battled, but that's a game that you just don't expect them to win, right? And I think they've had a couple games this past week, you know, including Phoenix on Sunday where it's just, it's just tough for them to hang with those teams, especially when you're just down so much shooting. I mean, Monte Morris, Alec Burks, Boyan, those are your top three guys. And... To me, the offense has just looked completely different ever since Burks got hurt last week. So they just need guys back at this point. It's really hard to make any broad or definitive declarations about where this team's at because there's not so many key guys. But this team does fight. They don't fight for a full 48 minutes consistently, but they fight for a good 36. So that's just getting them to the full 48.
0: Yeah, and I agree. Like It's been hard to judge some of this stuff in totality because of those. And It just seems like every single year we continue to have these same issues and it's kind of frustrating as somebody that watches the team and really wants to analyze and break it down where you go. We haven't even seen close to the full iteration. I was telling some, something that was supposed to be a strength of this team and what Troy Weaver did was the depth, the amount of talent. Well, only seven of those 14 guys were suited up last night and Wiseman's essentially not playing because we're not playing three bigs. And so it's just, it's really is tough. But one reason they played so well against the Warriors was... Killian Hayes. He has an awesome game. He may have been the best player on the court. 21 points on 12 field goal attempts, three of four from three, seven assists, four rebounds, zero turnovers. And I will say he has not turned the ball over in his last three games. What were your thoughts on Killian Hayes game last night? And then just lead us into this overall conversation that's going around Killian Hayes right now.
1: Yeah, I logged on to Twitter and it was just, I, I feel like there's like three or four days a year where Killian Hayes becomes a hot topic and I just, like I just logged off because this is like year four of like the same conversations. I mean, K- no, Killian was great on uh, Monday. Uh, I mean, again, he was the best player on the, on the floor, didn't turn the ball over, 21 points, shot the ball really, really efficiently, especially from three, I think he was three or four from three, uh, eight for 12 overall, so Every now and then, you see him kind of pop off like that, and it shows, I guess, maybe the upside, you would call it, when the shots are falling. But, you know, for my it's not even that. It's just where somebody brings on defense and taking care of the ball. And I do think the ball control probably has been a little bit underrated this season, just, you know, given the turnover issues, K probably still leaves the NBA turned turnovers, so to have a guard and Killian who can not do that helps a lot. But yeah, if Killian doesn't do that, they're probably not in that game at all. They needed somebody else to pick up some of the scoring load, and he stepped up and did it. So the question with Killian always is, can he sustain this? Can he keep it going? I think he's around 36% from three now on the season, but it's also a small sample size, right? So, you know, it's almost like you have to talk about Killian month to month. Like, let's see where he's at after 10 games, 15 games, 20 games, because we've never really questioned the talent. It's just sustaining it for long stretches.
0: Yeah, and I want to give Stanley Amude a shout out as well because oh, we're yeah. not going to talk about him as we go throughout this. There's too many other individual players and team things to discuss, but he shot the ball really well in that game. And I had said leading up to that one, he had got some chances in regular season games. I thought he looked good in the preseason. I didn't think he had looked good in his regular season minutes. And he even started out a little rough in this game. And then I think he ended up hitting four threes in this game to really keep it going and, and give them a big lift whenever they, again, they only had, you know, seven guys who were on standard contracts. I want to shout out Vince Ellis because this will always stick with me. I was talking to him. I don't know if it was a meal we were at the first year in Vegas or whatever, Omari, and we were talking about some topic. And Vince just looks at me and goes, Bryce, you have to understand that Pistons Twitter isn't always the best microcosm of the fan base as a whole. And what it reminded me or made me realize was I don't live in Detroit, Omari. I make one or two games a year. All I get is Pistons Twitter. And so that's what I do think is an accurate representation of the entire fan base. And yeah, Twitter was crazy today. And I kind of went off for the first time in a while. But my thought is, nobody can be rational about Killian anymore because there's so many people that want to take their victory laps. So many people who want to, you know, him not to be good. Everybody has to either defend a take or attack a take because they want to be right on whether Killian should be a starting player in the NBA or should be out of the NBA altogether. And so you can't have a rational take on Killian. It's almost become toxic around him just because of that. And You you can't support him or you can't go against him. And so that's kind of frustrating that it's hard to have rational conversation around him because I think somewhere in the middle, Omari, is a guy who could be a solid NBA player, a guy who could come off the bench and contribute to winning basketball. But man, it's tough.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, it's not unfortunate, but Killian being the first draft pick of this new era, he's always been a bit, Work under the microscope compared to both seventh overall picks. I mean, typically you don't have seventh overall picks come in with the amount of fanfare he came in with. So I think a lot of that's just kind of residual from, you know, three years ago, two years ago. And overall, like he's been, he is an an NBA player, first of all. Like there's people who say you shouldn't be in the league, this and that. Like he's an NBA player. He plays NBA level defense. He takes care of the ball. And I mean, the mid-range has been uh, pretty consistent for him. And on top of that, He's always shot free throws. Well, it's just the issue has been getting to the line, but there's no reason why he can't be a third or fourth guard on most teams, just given the way he takes care of the ball, the way he competes on defense. And like, he really does have great vision overall. There's always a role for a player like that. You know, I think the thing is for him, he's under the microscope again just because they need somebody to step up in the scoring department. And until last night, he hadn't really done that. You know, he's still like around 39% overall on the season and 36 from three after that explosion he had last night. But, you know, it's just too small of a sample size to know what to make of that yet. So I think the thing with Killian is just understanding who he is, right? He's a good defensive point guard. He can move the ball. Every now and then you'll get a scoring outburst from him but that's probably not his game. And I think if you put Killian in a role where he can drive, he'll succeed in that, right? It's just when you need more from him from a scoring standpoint that I think the, it, it begins to fall apart a little bit, right? Cause that's just not who he is as a player.
0: And the other thing I've brought up is at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what we think. And we all know this Monty seems to believe in him. And so Killian's going to get a chance. And the other thing is like that probably boosts Killian's confidence. He has a coach now yes. who believes in, and I, I want to make this point as well, because right now there's a lot of people and we'll talk about Jaden Ivy in just a little bit who are very supportive of how Monty Williams is handling Jaden Ivy, holding him accountable and all those things. And again, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but Maybe Dwayne Casey was doing that with Killian Hayes as well, right? Maybe Dwayne was the one that had to do that with Killian over the last three years. And now Monty is getting to see the realized version of those struggles and those growing pains into what hopefully... Killian is going to turn into, which is a quality NBA player that can be in the rotation. And maybe that's what Killian had to go through to get to this point where now he can truly have confidence. I think we've talked about this a lot in terms of Killian's confidence has always seemed to waver and struggle. You could see it in his body language. And so having somebody that just continually defends him and boosts him and talks about him the way Monty did. We saw Asar last night, Omari. You were there. Sounded like Asar had a bunch of quotes about how productive and how important Killian Hayes is. So he's going to get a chance and it will be really interesting to see, like you said, can we get it for a larger sample? That's why I don't want to overreact to the game on Monday night. I want to see it. Can he do it for the next four? Can he continue to do those things? And it will be really interesting to see if he does.
1: Yeah, and actually, I was going to ask the star that question last night about, you know, I, I think I phrased it, you know, sorry, you know, killings for a day one starter. Like just what is it from... Maybe a relief valve standpoint that is able to offer you guys. And, you know, he talked about the two things that Monty's talked about, which is his defense, uh, his compete level on defense. And then along with that, you know, that he takes care of the ball, right? Yeah. You know, which are traits that Monty may value higher than the fan base. And I think a lot of the, I, the Killian conversation too, just comes into the contrasted role with Jaden Ivey, which I know we'll get into later, but you know, there's been some given and take there and I think it really shows that like when Monty says he's building defense first like he really is building defense first so I mean Jada's been good on offense I mean his stats are great but just having I think that baseline on 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 defense probably speaks more to what Monty wants so far as far as just having a at least an average baseline from every player right especially when you have a switch scheme I think and for a lot of possessions your defense is only as good as your worst defender so it does make a difference in some ways and we'll talk about you know whether Ivy deserves more minutes or not deeper in the pot. But defensively, Killian does have that going for him.
0: All right. This is from Pistons Talk. I appreciate him being in here. And again, you need to check out what they're doing weekly on their YouTube as well. But do you think part of the Killian discourse at this point is because he's quote unquote starting over Ivy? Because I actually think these are separate things. I think you can hold Ivy accountable and do the things you need to with him without it being solely, oh, Killian's taking Jaden Iving's starting spot. And so I don't think that has to necessarily be the case. But I do think, to Piston Sock's point, that a lot of fans are looking at it that way, is not only is Killian starting, he's starting over the number five overall pick from a year ago, a guy we saw play really well last season. And even though they don't have to be intertwined, they are married together a little bit. And so then it becomes more frustrating, especially when Killian isn't necessarily
1: playing well. And that's the thing, and it's kind of become a national topic too. It was on some pods yeah. today, and just throughout the week, you see some a lot of the national heads, you know, tuning in, like well, what's going on here, right? You know, I also think if you just look at it from an organizational standpoint, you know, this is Killian's last year of his contract unless he takes the QO next year. And there are more pressing decisions that the team will have to make with him pretty soon. And when Monte Morris comes back, who's like who's to say what's <laughs> going to happen with the rotation at that point? Right. Because Marcus Sasser's been good. And Ivy should still be in the mix regardless of what he's doing on defense. So how do you manage a rotation with five bar handlers? You, somebody's going to be cut out, right? So I think from that sense, it's valuable to allow Killian to kind of have this role. He looks more comfortable. He's been on ball, I think, a lot more than last year where he kind of stood in the corner and was more of a floor spacer. Like last night, we saw Kay play off ball of down of lot and Killian was more so the lead initiator, which I think could be good for Kate, just because he tends to get trapped and, and he just makes poor decisions with the ball sometimes to be pretty frank. You know, he's just, you know, like he, he gets trapped and then you don't know what's going to happen. So there's upside there, but overall... Yeah, I mean, that's the the question, right? Like I think if Jade and Ivy were playing maybe like 25, 26, maybe there wouldn't be as much discussion if their rows were a little bit more equal from a business standpoint.
0: Yeah, and to somebody in the chat brought up, like he has been a lightning rod for the last three years. He has, absolutely, but it just seems like yeah. it's continually getting more and more and more. And I want to say like, what has caused me to do, quite honestly, Amari, is I've kind of started picking apart his defense. It's kind of forced me. Okay, I'm watching Killian. If we're going to hold yeah. Jay Nivy to the standard defensively, how good is Killian defensively? So I want to be fair as well. We've kind of boosted him and talked about how well he's played. He does have his flaws, though, Amari. That's why yeah. I think there needs to be a middle ground with Killian. You've brought up the shooting numbers. I don't think he's as good on the ball perimeter defensively isolations as what people give him credit for sometimes. I've counted blow-bys and blow and blow-bys and closeouts within games. I believe it was the Phoenix game, I had a bunch of notes of him missing rebounds and rotations to get a checkout and those type of things. Now, I do think he's disruptive and a playmaker and active off the ball. He's good with those type of things, but he's not a perfect defender. I think this talk of like elite perimeter defender, I think that's a little too far. The other thing is... He has seven total attempts at the rim on the season. He's two of seven. Those two were dunked, and he has zero attempts in the half court. Again, I'm just pointing out some fairness in terms of his overall game. He's been good in the mid-range. The three-point shot hasn't been bad, but he's not a guy that pressures the rim, and if your lead ball handler doesn't pressure the rim, then that's a flaw that you have to take into account big picture.
1: No doubt. And, and and that's the thing that makes it tough to evaluate with some of these shooters out because Boyan Bogdanovic was slated to be in the starting lineup before that calf injury. And if he's starting, your starting lineup is Cade, Asar, Boyan, Isaiah, and Durin. They are not even having this debate, right? right? Killian didn't start even into that discussion until Boyan was out. So I'm curious to see how this evolves as the season goes on. But you're right. You know, Killian does still have a lot of the same flaws he had previously. He's not really pressuring the rib. Uh, You know, his shooting hasn't really been there. Of course, he was really good last night, but as a whole, it's still not where you want it to be for a starting guard. And defense, like he does fight. He does try. He's not elite. You know, he's not like a uh, Drew Holiday or anybody on that end but if you're looking at Detroit's guards as a whole he might be second in that group depending sure. on how you feel about Kate. and he has that going for him right it's not necessarily that he's elite from an overall NBA standpoint but on this team having a 6'5 guy who can fight through screens a little bit better than some of every guys can like that is a valuable thing to have so again it's just how many minutes is appropriate for a player who fulfills that role? Because we have to see if Kenning can sustain what he's done on offense from a shooting standpoint. And history says that he's probably going to regress after this.
0: And for all of you in the chat talking about kind of the quote-unquote double standard and that stuff, that, that's we are going to talk about that in general a little bit later. I don't want to dive into it too much right now, but I think what's made me realize that maybe he wasn't as good a defender, and listen, even Isaiah Stewart has given up some stuff. Cade has given up some stuff. So like to the double standard thing, I thought Cade should have got pulled a couple games ago because I didn't think he was giving great effort on the defensive end, and he was giving up rebounds as well. But I think who has really made this stand out to me is Asar Amari. Asar is so good that he's almost raised the expectations or at least made me realize what the expectations should be for a truly great defender in this league. And some guys just don't physically have what Asar has, the length, the athleticism, some of the natural feel stuff. But now seeing what Asar does, does defensively, it's made me realize, man, Killian maybe not that great. Isaiah Stewart may not be that great, even though I do think Stu is good. I think Killian is good. But Asar shows you what elite at least could be or may look like. And nobody else on this team looks like that on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, I mean, Asar is just, you know, he's just a different type of player, right? Like to have <laughs> his athleticism, but also his brain is just a combination you don't see very often where like he's just, like, he just reads opposing players so well. Like, his block numbers are just absolutely insane. He had four blocks and four steals the other night. You almost like had he almost had a five-by-five, five, man. That would have been crazy. He almost had a five-by-five five and like, his stuff of game. Like, that's just a whole different level. So, when you see a guy like that, it does put the rest of the roster into perspective a bit yes, more. And yes. Killian and Isaiah are always just going to be limited by the fact that they're just not that level of athlete. You know, they're a little bit... I think Isaiah moves really well for a four, but he doesn't, but he's not like a, you know, a Paul George or like the, the Brown for it, right? You know, like those guys are just a different level of athlete. And that's where Asar is at. So you talk about a lockdown guy. Asar could be a lockdown guy. Those guys are more so, you could trust them on switches because of their size. You know, they're going to compete and they can maintain a certain baseline. But no, you're right. You watch Asar and it puts everything else to perspective. Like if he's doing this in game eight, where is he going to be two or three years from now?
0: All right. So let's put a bow on this before we move on to Cade and Jaden and. Asar Thompson, where do you think this goes moving forward, Amari, with Killian Hayes? Not not all the chatter around it. Like I'm kind of over that. I know you are. We talked about this beforehand. It is what it is. Where do you think it goes on the court in terms of his play, does he stay in the starting lineup when things are healthy? I mean, there's no reason to change it up right now anyway until we start to get guys back. Where do you think this goes? Is it just for you? I think you said it earlier. I want to see this for a month from Killing to really show that the three-point shooting is real. The pull-up jumper is real. The defense is is good. Is that what you need to see? Is just that consistency for a longer sample size?
1: It's just that consistency at this point because we know Killian can have nights like he had last night. It's not the first time he did it. He had those two huge threes against Dallas around this time last year, and that was in the midst of, you know, him kind of turning things around where he had a good four or five-week stretch where he was really shooting the ball well. But, yeah, you have to talk about Killian, I think, it's just month-long increments and see how he sustains it from game to game because that's, you know, the issue has never really been the passing or defense or anything else. It's can you put the ball in the hole? And... I think that microscope's been bigger on him just because he's been in the starting lineup, which I don't know if people expected. You know, I would expect as Monte and Boyan and some of the guys come back, you'll see Killian and Hayes' row reduced just because you have to cut minutes from somewhere. And I think once we get to that point, that's when we'll have a better perspective, you know, as far as what Monte's weighing, right? Like, you have these shooters, do you prioritize that over what Killian Hayes gives you? He's, some of this stuff is just circumstance, right? Because of the injury. So I want to s- revisit this in December, maybe January, and see how things change as they get healthier.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting because another guy, again, that we probably won't talk about individually, but is Marcus Sasser. And Monday night, mm-hmm. it wasn't his best shooting game, but the dude's still shooting crazy efficiently, especially from three. He's limited defensively as well because he is smaller and not this uber athlete, but he gets after it. I think he can be a neutral defender in the NBA. So, how do you get all of these guys' minutes when they are all healthy? Who is going to be the odd man out? And somebody, some portion is going to be upset because it's going to be Killian who people have seen play well or Sasser who's played really well or do you just have vets sitting on the bench not getting any minutes. And of course, the one we haven't talked a lot about and we'll dive into after this short break, it's Jaden Ivey. And how do we feel about Jaden Ivey? Where do we think he's at? Oh, real quick, Omari Sankofa, the OG chimes in. Thanks for the birthday shout out. I love what Sasser is bringing. I think his early performance opens up trade opportunities to move a vet by the trade deadline if his play continues. Always bringing great takes from the original Amari Sankofa, so appreciate that. When we come back from this short break, Amari, we will dive into Jay Ivey.
1: All right, we're back with segment two. And let's just dive into the the thorniest topic. (laughs) That wasn't it? We
0: didn't just do that?
1: That was the second thorniest. Maybe they're 1A and 1B. But, you you know, Ivy playing 20 minutes a game. His shooting percentages are way up from last year. He's shooting 49.1% overall, 40.9% from three. You know, the spot up shooting has been really good. And I believe he's still seventh on this team in minutes per game, which you know, he probably didn't expect coming into this season. And, you know, I've, we've talked about it. You know, we tweeted about it. You know, obviously, Monty wants to see more from him on defense. And I think we both agree that he has a tendency to play by the door defense, right? Like, he's not necessarily doing what Monty wants. The debate is more so, can you find ways to hold him accountable for defense, but also give him more room to do what he does on offense just because this team clearly needs some extra punch until guys get back. So I want to hear where you're at on this, Bryce, because it's not necessarily where Monty's standpoint is. I think it's just worse that the minutes have been so low for a lot of people.
0: So here's what I want to say. I want to get this out of the way and then we can get to, you know, this other stuff. This is truly a developmental path for Jay Nivey that Monty is instilling where I'm going to hold him accountable to play defense at the level I expect And I think he's going to get there. I think this message will get across. These are part of the growing pains that this young prospect, this young player needs to go through to be the realized version of himself. Then I'm on board. I'm cool with it. Let's make it happen. Jaden has to be able to handle that coaching, go through this. Lots of guys have had to do this at different levels. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with holding a player accountable for them to meet their ultimate expectations or their ultimate ceilings. What I'm not okay with is If they don't think he's this good, if Monty doesn't believe in him as a player overall, then they should just cut bait right now. Like this is a value play for the organization. And so I don't think that's what this is, Omari. I want to make that clear. I don't think that's what this is. But if they don't believe in him, if this is just like, hey, Jaden Ivey is a 20-minute game guy off the bench. That's kind of who he is. He's never going to play defense, that type of stuff. Then they need to get whatever value they can for a former number five overall pick. If it's a developmental play, I'm cool with it.
1: Yeah, and for it to get to that point, I think it would just have to be a situation where they decide this is not salvageable, right? Like, you know, he's, for whatever reason, obviously not going to get off the bench, not get the minutes he, you know, I don't want to say deserves but the minutes maybe you expect for him to develop and, you know, figure out some fits with Cade and some of the the other guys. I think it would have to really, really sour for the front office to get on board with that, you know, because they did take him just last year. You know, he did have a pretty good rookie season and guards just with some of his natural gifts athletically, especially when he's the only guard really on the roster who pressures the rim the way he does. You know, like, he feels a role, a very clear role in this roster. if he's an average defender, there's really no reason why he can't play next to Cade. So I would be surprised. Like, I'm not saying it can't get to that point. I just, I think it would have to be a situation where the front office is just like we cannot salvage this. Like either Ivy's just pouting and he's like, this isn't for me, or, you know, Monty's like, you know, maybe Ivy does some of the things you want to see and he's still glued on the bench. It's you know, it's still a little bit too early to get to that point. But twenty minutes is a bit low. You know, you have a team that's what, two six overall right now. And you look at what Ivy did last year and you just expect more than twenty minutes. I think if it were like twenty five minutes, like let's say him and Killer playing, you know, around twenty four each, it's probably more of a balance. So I guess along with that, like, how do you weigh wanting to set that standard on defense but still, you know, acknowledging that a guy's giving you something offensively, right? If this is just a season for growth and the wins and losses don't matter in the grand scheme, is it worth it if Ivy does lock down on defense and becomes a better player out of it? This is one of those judgment calls that you always just have to wait and see what happens, right? You know, because it could, you know, it's up to Ivy, right? You know, Ivy could even, you know, take it and say, okay, I'll just get better or he could decide, you know what, hey, like I am a better player than this and this isn't fair. So we'll see how it evolves. We'll see how it evolves, but that's been surprising for sure.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing I've tweeted about as well is I just want to make sure or I want to see that Ivy gets the playing time when he does play good defense and listen I'm not gonna I can't sit here and honestly defend Jaden Ivy's defense at this point in his career he dies on ball screens a lot I think he's pretty decent in isolations he had some good ones against Jeremy Grant I actually wonder if Jaden would be better because he is a strong kid maybe playing against bigger guards and smaller wings not necessarily a Jeremy Grant exact matchup but maybe that's what he'd better be better at and not having to navigate a ton of screens because he doesn't do extremely well in that. I just wonder what it is. This is, again, I've talked about this every few months. I would love to be in the coach's room, be a fly on the wall and just listen. What are they wanting from Jaden? Is it just effort? Is there a technique thing? Is there off-ball awareness? And that's what I'm really interested to know, and I know we're not going to get that answer. And I don't think we should get that answer. Monty doesn't owe it to us to tell us exactly what he wants from Jaden Ivy. I just would love to know because then you could look for it. Because again, I could show you a highlight reel of Killian Hayes being below average as a defensive rebounder or below average impact on the defensive boards. There was back-to-back games where I thought Cade's effort on the defensive end was questionable. I can show you back-to-back clips of Stu with really bad closeouts. Jalen Duran, I have some critiques with him defensively. I'm not saying that those guys have to be held accountable in the same way. Every player has their own developmental path, Omari, but it does seem like Jaden's is only defense. And I find that interesting and just wonder what exactly they're looking for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when Killian's averaging 30 a game and Jaden's averaging 21, I think that's, again, if they were more even, maybe it wouldn't be as noticeable, but I'd still look at the game Jaden had against the Pelicans last week. And I think that was a game that made a lot of people mad because he, made a couple of good plays at the end of the third and the Pittsburgh getting back in it. And then he sat for even most, like, all of the entire fourth. But CJ seems like McCullum was kind of putting him through, uh, <laughs> like, earlier in the game. And there was a screen, I think, that Larry Nance set earlier that was a dribble handoff. And, like, Ivy ran into the screen and then, like, tripped and just completely fell after and gave up a wide-open three. And I think even just beyond the the defense, it's plays like that that can really great coaches, right? You know, like when you just like fail to that extent and Ivy's had good plays too but I wonder if there's some of that too that Ivy, like Monty just really wants to snap these mistakes out of Ivy now. And it's not just games, too. It's also practice. Monty says there's sure. stuff yeah, that, yeah. you know, you don't see. So if he's seeing the same stuff over and over again, he's going to crack down on it. So I've done this long enough to where I know sometimes things are hot topics early in the year, and then by February, everybody forgets about it because whatever was happening gets fixed, and you move on to the next thing. So I could see Ivy's role changing as the year goes on. If he locks on defensively and does some of those things, it would be hard for me to just see him being... I won't say he's under the, the doghouse. Like, he's still playing 20 minutes a night. It's not like he's picking up DMPs. It's just... You would expect those minutes to go up as the year goes on if he continues to score it the way he has, and if you do see some incremental improvements on defense.
0: Well, and let's we all know where this stems from is what happened in Phoenix with DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams. Mm-hmm. So if there was
1: yeah, and that's a fear. Yeah, that's a fear. And
0: and it's I'm not saying Monty was right or wrong or DeAndre. Like I I I don't know enough about that situation to speak intelligently about it. So I'm gonna leave it alone. I just feel like that narrative and what happened with that relationship with a young, promising center probably gives some Pistons fan unease because it's like, oh, is he Monty Williams, DeAndre Ayton or the version of DeAndre Ayton? And I want to say this. So I know there was talk about like not putting him on the best player, putting him on the best player. Chuck says you don't ask the best player on the team to guard the other team's best player. You're right. And Ivy isn't our best player. I would actually like to see Monty challenge Jaden in that way. I almost would go the other way. Instead of putting him on the bench, put that man in the starting lineup and say, Jaden, go guard the best player. And then let us see it with our own eyes. And he, again, he doesn't owe us anything. Monty Williams doesn't have to prove anything to the fan base, but that's what I'd like to see sometimes is challenge Jaden in that way. Go guard the other team's best player, Jaden. And let's see if he can do that. Because if he's not, then the, quote-unquote bad defense, is really going to stand out, Amari.
1: And I think that's what hurts Ivy, too, is just he plays a position where you... Well, I guess it's right now it's four players, but when Monte comes back, you have five guys who are probably doing some of the, the things that Monty wants to see a little bit better than Ivy. So I guess the logic is if you have... Especially when some of these shooters come back and you have that scoring punch, because I would say the Pistons are probably lost more games because of defense than offense so far. But if you have that, then what does Ivy give you that you don't have? Because you have K giving you scoring, Marcus Sasser scored the ball pretty well. Obviously, Burst can shoot it. Obviously, Monte can really shoot it. So I, I just think it really will come down to defense for Ivy. I think to set the coach for Monty wants he's going to be really hard on them until he figures some of this stuff out and you know, it's going to be tough for the fan base to swallow, I think. I think that's a really tough deal, you know, when this time last year looked like, you know, Ivy was a long-term building. Black, I'm not saying he's not. I mean, he still is from an organizational standpoint, but it almost seems like a regression from last season, and I think that's what puts a sour taste in people's mouths.
0: Yeah, and again, I- I'm supportive of this. I thought Keith Black Trudeau brought up a good point that Ivy and this, I don't think this was a shot at Dwayne Casey or anything like that, last year is just the roster was kind of allowed to just go out and play. Like, and he just was handed the keys and maybe not held accountable as much as you would want a rookie. And so maybe that's the regression that you, I think that's what's hard, right, Amari? If Jay Navi was in his rookie year and we were seeing this, I think we would all understand. But we saw him be pretty successful in different ways as a rookie. And then now it's like Monty's having to pull the reins back. And it's just, it's it's interesting It's tough to watch at times, but I, again, want to emphasize I'm supportive of it as long as that is the end game. If that's what's going on here, Monty thinks he can get him there, then it's all good. I want to leave on a positive note with Jay Nivey before we talk about Asar, which is pretty much going to be all positive because he's been incredible. He is attacking the paint. You brought this up. I don't think it's a question who on this team is the best at, at penetrating the defense, it's Jay Nivey, in my opinion. And I know Cade can do it some. Jay Nivey has got to the rim, and I think he's finished at the rim really well. 64% of the rim in just the half court. It's a small sample size, but this is something we critiqued a lot last year, Omari. And I think so far in six games, it looks like it's something that has improved.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No, I mean, clearly on the offense, he's a, a better player than he's been last year. I think he's been more under con- Trow, he's shooting well. If somebody brought up, is it a regression when his offensive stats are better? It's a regression in the sense that he's playing fewer minutes. It's a regression in row, not necessarily talent or stats or anything like that. It's a regression in what you would expect uh, his roads to increase in year two. But yeah, the finishing has been good. You know, he's still getting to the line at a good rate. He's doing a lot of the stuff this backcourt just doesn't have. I mean, Alec Burks is the only guy on this team who really draws fouls at a high rate. And he mostly does his work from mid-range. He's not even necessarily getting all the way to the rim. He's got his bag of tricks. So, yeah, again, I, I would be surprised to see this road kind of stick for Ivy all year. Like, if it does, then that probably points to maybe to some long-term issues. But a guy who's been that good offensively, at some point, I just think things are going to change in his favor.
0: Yeah, and as Piston Talk says, I also think Monty sees a lot of potential in Jaden. Maybe that's why he's being so hard on him. Again, I hope that's the case. I hope it's here's how you're going to make and get to your ceiling and you're going to have to go through these struggles, these lessons to get there. I'm all about that if if that's what it's going to be. I love the process. And so I would be a hypocrite to not be a believer and a fan of somebody putting Jaden Ivey through the process. Again, as long as that's the ultimate motivation. Okay, let's go positive with the star, Thompson. Because to me... I, I don't know. There's not a whole lot of negative. We can talk about the shooting, a few things. I can nitpick his defense if I really want to. But Omari, how stinking good is this young man? He is so good. He is so good eight games into his rookie
1: season. Yeah, he does two, three things a game. That's just like, wow. Like you say, <laughs> it's instinct and it is instinct. But just just how quickly he processes things on both ends and then just the way he moves too. It's just like he's he might be a top 10 athlete in the NBA right now. Oh, but, yeah. Like some of the the boards he grabs are just like, wow. (laughs) Like he's crashing against guys, you know, four or five inches taller and just rising right above them. Uh, Some of the stuff he's done in transition the passing has been there. Really, everything's been there except the half-court scoring, which he's shown flashes here and there. You knew that that was his weakness coming again. But outside of that, I would say he's probably surpassed expectations in every other area to the point to where he's already probably one of the NBA's better wing defenders. What he did against Shea was really good. Like, he, you know, he's defending these guys well. Like, you're never going to shut these guys down, but he's doing a pretty good job. You know, maybe go to state, put them through it a little bit more, but they're going to do that to most guys. But every other category, he's just been fantastic. And when you see a guy get four assists, four blocks, and he's been getting multiple blocks and steals every single game, it's just like, what kind of statistical profile is he going to have in three years? I mean, it's just... Like, he's just absolutely insane in that, in that area.
0: And some of the contests he had on KD were just ridiculous, man. It was crazy. He was able to elevate contests and then not foul. And here, I I tweeted about this today. We'll take our L's here on the Pistons Pulse. Omari and I were, were Cam Whitmore. This was a Cam Whitmore podcast. You know, we weren't necessarily saying Asar Thompson, Asar Thompson. I'm cool carrying that. Like, we don't have to bat 100% with our takes and what we think about players. And I will be more than happy to praise Asar Thompson throughout the entire of his career, and he's been awesome. I went back and read my scouting report on him, Omari, and what it came down to was I bought into some of the negatives on the defensive end from OTE more than I should have because I wrote, like, which one is it? Is it a kid who is just young and bored playing in this OTE program, or are these truly bad habits? And obviously, he was a player that was young and bored playing in the OTE program because. All of the positive intangibles on the defensive end have translated immediately to the NBA. It's crazy. Asar, I put in my notes for this, was he's almost a player, it would have been better just to watch the highlights because that's what you're getting. Any highlight reel of Asar... From OTE is what you're getting now in the NBA. And that's not always the case. But he got rid of any of the negatives, the downfalls, and it's been, yeah. And I saw Cam Whitmore sent to the G League with the Rockets, not even getting playing time there, which that whole thing is a different story, different podcast with his fall in the draft. But Asar has been absolutely incredible offensively. You see him make some really nice passes at times. I'm interested to see how he grows his ability to play with the ball in his hands via synergy, very good in transition. No surprise there. Here's a funny stat. I thought this was was hilarious for some reason. He's four of 17 on putbacks. I'm like, that's such a weird stat to me. I think he does a lot of like just the tip backs and he hasn't really found the tough touch yet. But it's like, that just, it's not a knock. It's not a negative Omari. It just stood out to me as kind of funny.
1: 17 is also a pretty hot number in just seven or eight games. Like <laughs> that's he's a good doing point it too. more than twice a night. So <laughs> that's just like, he's a six, seven wing. Like that that really pops out. You know, but to your point about his, just ball handling and passing. One thing I will look at long-term with him is just Monty, you know, teased that he could do some primary on-ball stuff. And to me, he's more so just been like the perfect secondary playmaker rather than a guy you want initiating the offense. I think he needs to tighten his handle a bit. And I think just the lack of shooting. I mean, he did hit two of them against the Warriors. And he has bites where he's done it. But teams are just packing the paint against the Pistons and daring him to shoot. And there are some nights where that's not going to work. I do want to see if he can become more of that primary on-ball guy. You know, because, again, he's a great weapon in transition. He gets rebounds. He does a lot of stuff. But I still think long-term, he has to have some go-tos just in the half court, you know, to really maximize his effectiveness there. And we haven't seen that yet. So that's what I'm looking out for. But, I mean, again, beyond that, and to be fair, Bryce, nobody can really predict that a rookie is going to be as ready as he's been, (laughs) right? I mean, that's just... Like, that's just stuff to pre- predict. We were on the, the Cam Whitmer train, and like I still think long-term he's going to be a great player. But it just shows, you know, from our perspective that there's always going to be some information missing when it comes to draft analysis. We're not sending into to the team meetings. You know, so, like, Asar's personality didn't necessarily come through. But when you talk to him, just like you realize just how smart he is and just how he reads the game. But he takes ownership for stuff. Like last night, he's like, I could have helped steal on the boards more. And it's like, you have a grab for your and the seven rebounds (laughs) of the game. And you're like a six, seven, small forward. So that's simply not your role to begin with. You know, like you have Bagley and Isaiah up front, but that's how he thinks, right? He's always looking at what he could do better and he's even admitted verbatim like he's putting in more effort in some things in the NBA because he can't just coast through on his athleticism like he could in OT. No so it's just stuff like that that you can't really predict coming in and he's passed all of that uh, with flying colors so far.
0: Yeah, not to turn this into an NBA draft conversation but that's so true. There was so much intel that went into specifically those two guys. Cam Whitmore didn't yeah. drop because of talent. He dropped because of intel and some yeah. injury questions around his knee and Asar, I heard it. I did hear about how great these kids were. But even then, it's hard to tell is OTE just boosting these guys because they were the faces of OTE and they really needed them to pop. And so there's just so much intel that goes into that. Doug brings up, Doug, good to see you back in the chat. Asar hits his free throws too. Yeah, that's very encouraging for his shot long-term is he's 82% at the free throw line, obviously rebounding really well. The stocks are just crazy. He's been awesome. So I, I, I don't have any I don't want to throw out any critiques right now. Yeah, the shooting has got to come around, but he plays hard. He's really good. He offensive rebounds. He cuts well, gets out in transition. Obviously, the defense has been everything we've wanted to see. And so I I'm, I wish we could see him more. I don't know where he's going to get the on-ball reps with the current roster. We talked about that earlier, just the guard crunch. So are there any on-ball reps for him to get moving forward? That will be interesting, but he's been incredible. We're going to go to a short break here, Amari. When we come back, let's talk about Cade Cunningham and and just some general thoughts around this team
1: overall. All right, back with segment three. Uh, we're going to dive right into Cade, and let's just get maybe the most pressing topic on him out of the way because people have brought up the nature of the turnovers Is it because he's playing in the crowd too much? Is it because of the spacing? It's almost like a chicken-egg debate, right? Is Cade turning the ball over because he's in a bad situation or... Is it a bad situation because K is turning over the ball? And really, it's a mix of both, right? You know, so if there's a, like, we could talk about, you know, has K met expectations? Has he, he been above and below and it depends on what aspect of the game he talks about. But the turnover side has been a bit concerning for me because there's just times where I think he telegraphs his passes too much. And, you know, the defense can read it and he gets picked off. He did that as a rookie as well. Long term, he'll probably iron that out. But so far, that probably has been one of, one of the big weaknesses for him.
0: Yeah, and listen, I understand the spacing thing. And I get it. Nobody can question that this team doesn't have good spacing. We all get it. We understand, which yeah. is really funny because of how good they are shooting from three, the percentage. But here's where I get a little frustrated at times. There was the screenshot a week ago where five dudes are in the lane and what nobody talked about, Isaiah Stewart was wide open in the weak side corner, Amari. Wide open. You know what uh, Isaiah Stewart, I almost said, you know what Amari's shooting from three right now? You know what (laughs) what Isaiah Stewart is shooting from three right now, Amari? Like 40- it's like 46%. 46% from three on three and a half attempts. You know what Cade did on that play? He forced a lob to Duran, and it was a turnover. I've been telling Wes this for like 10 days now. I'm tired of the screenshots of the spacing. I get it. I understand it. I think screenshots don't show the whole narrative and the whole story anyway. What I want people to start looking for is if Cade drives and kicks and guys are missing wide open catch and shoot threes, that's when I would get frustrated if I'm Cade Cunningham. Monty, I'm driving into the paint. I'm getting four guys committed. I'm kicking to Stu, and Stu's not making it. I'm kicking it to Killian. Killian's not making it. I'm kicking it to Sasser. Sasser's not making it. Or they're not attacking closeouts and bending the defense and keeping them off balance. That's whenever I'm going to get frustrated. And maybe that is happening. And if it is, then something needs to change right now. But that's where I think we've lost a little bit of the context is yeah, maybe we don't want Kaden a 12-assist guy and only 17 points, but maybe he needs to do that for a few games, let these guys prove their ability to space the floor. Everybody's talking about how well Killian's shooting it. Let Killian shoot five of catch and shoots and knock down four. Let Stu shoot five and knock down four, and then that space is going to open up. So that's kind of my rant on that aspect of the floor spacing. With the, I, I realize it needs to be better, Amari, but I, I feel yeah. like we're missing a little bit of context.
1: And, but there's some give and take there as well because Isaiah's turned down threes as well. 100% and think, Omari, 100%. You know, and Cade, I think, is developing that trust that Stu's just going to launch it and not give the possession up and you're, you're trying to set up a different shot. You know, like there was a play last night. The clock's expiring. Uh, I think Cade finds Stu at the top of the key. There's like two seconds left. Stu has space but he kicks it to Spark Sasser in the corner and thankfully for them, you know, Sasser took a step in and hit the floater right as time expired. But that's a perfect example of Stu just needing to just launch it. Yes. And I've talked to Monty about this over the past few days. Like, especially with so many shooters out, like, the Stu just really needs to just get them up and just provide some of that spacing. And Monty's like, we talk about to Isaiah about that all the time. Like, just shoot the ball. We need you to get those shots up. Like, not second-guess it and just embrace that let-it-fly mentality. And Isaiah was a, like, he, I thought he turned down a lot on Sunday. Yes. He was a little bit better last night. He had three in like the first half, which was good to see. But then he reverted back yes. in the second half to passing it. And I think for Kate, there's some frustration of what's the point of me passing it out if just going to kick it and then we have to set up another shot. So I think, so Kate. It falls on both parties, but I think it's some of that too.
0: Okay. So that's fair. And again, if you're showing me those and you're talking about those Amari, then I'm on yeah. board. Like shoot the ball when Cade gets your man to help and knock it down. Or we got to put you in the second unit and bring in. Well, there's not a whole lot of guys to bring in right now, but yeah. you know, we got to play boy on or livers. If he's making shots, whoever we, Joe Harris isn't shooting the ball really well right now either. So, but like you, that's where I wanted to get to. I, I'm I'm again I'm kind of tired of the oh the lane is clogged. No, that's okay. If Cade attracts five guys, Amari, that's kind of the point of having somebody like Cade Cunningham. Now, show me where he's kicking it, Stu's not taking it, Killian's not making it, Asar isn't able to attack the closeout, whoever it is. If those things are happening, then you gotta find other players to put around him because then eventually. They do attack those. They do make those shots. Cade gets a chance to get all the way to the rim. And listen, I'm not trying to like pile on Cade Cunningham. I actually think he's been pretty darn good this year. I don't think he's exceeded my expectations. He hasn't been below my expectations. He's kind of been where I thought. I would like to see the efficiency go up and some things. He hasn't been perfect, but that that's all I'm saying is I I would like to see that a little bit more.
1: No doubt. And again, I mean, we keep saying this, but when Bogey comes back, when Monte Morris comes back, I think those two guys are going to help Cade out so much because he's going to trust Bogey. He's going to pass it to Bogey. He knows Bogey's going to launch it, right? You know, Bogey can also... Bogey also knows when to swing it and when to shoot it. And so I think that'll help, just having a more aggressive score in the lineup and not somebody... Like, they're still settling into, like, this point five thing, right? And I think sometimes they... They pass it so much and it's like, well, point five is to get an open <laughs> shot. So if you're open, just take, take the it. shot. Like, don't just keep trying to find somebody else who's open, which is like, like they fall into that trap. So I think you cut the turnovers out and I think Kane's been fine. The yes. efficiency still isn't where you want it to be. But a lot of that, I think, is just the, the spacing. He's going to have some turnovers every night, maybe a couple turnovers a night that are just like, you shouldn't have thrown that ball. But, if you just remove some of the crowd turnovers, you put some shooters around him that he trusts, you know, livers, all those guys. And even just Montaigne Boris being like a release valve who can also shoot. And I think this team's really lacked a veteran ball handler who could just kind of calm things down when there's a run or the team's starting to feel that pressure because uh, they haven't really been good at snapping runs. Like, I think those two guys are going to help Cade out a lot. And I could see Cade having a much stronger second half of the season from that regard simply because he has guys around him who can make up for some of what he struggled with. But beyond that, I mean, he's, he's knocking out mid-range jumpers. He shot the three pretty well. The playmaking is still there. Like, he's making great reads every night. You know, some of them make you scratch your head. But for the most part, you see that he is a lead on-ball guy. And he's doing all those things that made him such a well-regarded pick coming out of that 2021 draft. It's just, again, like his rookie year is being asked to do too much And at least this time, they have the personnel just in street clothes who can actually (laughs) kind of bail him out and help him solve some of these problems. Because I think that's what he's looking for. He's looking for help, right? He's looking for guys who are going to help him solve the way defenses are playing him. And he just does not have quite that trust that his teammates are going to do the right thing but he gives them the bar.
0: Absolutely. And Wes brought up something that's really interesting as well. Like he missed almost a whole year, Omari. I mean, he almost missed 12 months of basketball and we're only eight games into the season. So it's going to take a little bit for him to get there. Also, one thing I'm encouraged by is he has 50 field goal attempts at the rim in the half court this year. That's 6.3 per game. Last season in 12 games, he only had 50 in 12 games. He's matched that in eight games this year. In his rookie season, he only averaged 3.9 attempts at the rim in the half court per game. Of course, these are all via synergy, but that's that's a good improvement to me. I don't know where like that ranks in terms of league leaders and all that type of stuff, but that's improvement. That's growth in terms of Cade getting to the rim. And I always do just half court cuz i don't care as quite as much about the transition stuff. So i think he's getting and i think we've seen an emphasis from him the last few games where he's kind of tried to do this a little bit more and then now he's having to learn to take the contact and eventually he's going to start getting the foul calls. I don't know if we want to dive into that or not, but this has been much talked about as well. And it, this is why i think he just needs to keep bulking. I've said this for over a year now. One thing that makes Luca special, Amari, is you don't push that dude off his line. He has really good contact balance. He stays on his line and he gets to the spot he wants. I'm not saying Cade is Luca and I'm not saying I want Cade to play like Luca, but in terms of getting to the rim, I think it has to be done in a similar way. And I know Cade has put on mass and strength. I want to see even more so he can absorb that contact
1: even better. I agree with that, and the thing about Luca, you can't tell on TV as much, but when you see him in person, he's built like a tight end. Like he is, like he may not have like the tight end muscle, but he's just a massive human being, and I think that lends itself to him getting more cause. You know, I know Monty doesn't want to pick up the fine for the you know <laughs> file costs. so I'll just say because they can't find me. Like Cade has been getting beat up down there; yes. and they've been missing some it's stuff so on So should, Yeah, so he should be getting more calls than he's gotten. And you can just see he's frustrated. Like, he's talking to the refs, like, what am I supposed to do, right? Like, you know, I'm getting whacked every time I get down there and I can't get a call. So, you know, there's some frustration there. But I'm you know, comparing him to like, Darren Williams, you know, guys who are, like, bigger point guards. If K could probably put on an extra, like, 10 pounds and just really come in and just really embrace being, like, that mid-post back to the basket, like, you're rumbling and tumbling every single night. You know, I don't know if that's a play style he wants to embrace to the extent of like a Dwayne Wade or somebody, but just enough to sell that contact and get to the line. If you're taking four or five free throws a game, I think that alleviates a lot of the issues he's dealing with in the paint right now.
0: All right, so this is from Eric. Eric, we're trusting you on this one. He says, Cade's fifth so far in drives per game. So I don't know if that's via NBA.com or wherever, if you can put that in the chat as well. But I think those stats just kind of, this is why... Again, I understand the spacing argument, Omari. I see the screenshots. I get it. But it's not like he's not getting to the lane. It's not like he's not getting attempts. It's not like he's not creating driving kick opportunities. And so I just, it's been fine. He's got to limit the turnovers. I think some of them are just careless where, you know, for whatever reason, he's been a little bit nonchalant with them. As we finish up here, Amari, what are some overwhelming thoughts on this team? I see a lot in the chat right now. This team is young. This team isn't healthy. I I get it. We get it. I'm not trying to critique this team overall just yet. I think... I wish they would have taken advantage of like getting a chance to play the Blazers without Anthony Simons, the Pelicans without Brandon Egram and Zion and I feel like we would feel way different about this team if you win one or or both of those games obviously and you're sitting at what would that be now four and four or whatever so I, I get it that they're injured and they're young I completely understand there's a new offense all of that but where are you at kind of with this team in totality Monte Williams with this emphasis on defense kind of where, where are we going from here?
1: So coming into the season, and I might have said it on the pod at one point back in September, I always had the impression that this team would probably finish stronger than it started. One, just because of the schedule. They've played so many back-to-backs, and you know, I just think that's a a tough way to start a season for a young team. But also, I just figured it would take a minute to gel with Monty's new system, with Cade coming back, with some of the young guys figuring out their new roles around Cade. You know, it's just always struck me as a team that they start off a little slow and then you get to January or February and then you look up and it's like, oh, they've been 500 in their last 20 games. Or, you know, they've been kind of like what Orlando did last year or even Mati Williams' first year in Phoenix where he went 8-0 and in the bubble. You know, that got them to, I think, 34 wins and they weren't necessarily getting that type of attention beforehand. So sometimes with young teams, it just takes time to click. And through the first two and a half weeks, I have not seen anything that's really... Back me off of that thought, like, I still think this team could really click maybe in December or January once they really get guys back and, you know, guys figure out their roads and how they fit into the system on both ends. Like, even, like, despite the record and all that, like, I still feel like this team could make a pretty big leap forward at some point and put a lot of this behind them just because they have the talent to do it and the only thing they don't have right now is the depth. But you look at who's out and all the issues we're talking about are issues that would be fixed by the guys who are out. So it's just, you know, it's tough for me to be too hard to Kate with the turnovers. It's tough for me to, you know, be too hard on, you know, Killian Hayes' minutes of the starting lineup. All this stuff is going to change once some of these guys come back. So the important thing is that they did set a strong defensive tone in that first week. And, you know, Mati said. You can show that, that film and say, this is what we can do, right? Like, we're capable of doing this. You can look at the way that they've competed. You know, Like, they've fallen behind double digits, I think, in their last five or six games. But they've had longer stretches, I think, of being competitive than they did last season. Like, these guys fight. Even an opening night in Miami, right? They came all the way back almost from 19. So they really can fight what you want to see. And I think this team can still figure it out. Like, I just, nothing like, you know, like I know people get frustrated and whatnot. I have not really seen any like red alarm any things right now Like at most It's like a little yellow Maybe But once the team Gets healthier I think we're going to Really see things Click into place Pretty rapidly
0: Yeah and I'm the same way I know like uh, After the Monday night game I had a, I was a little frustrated Where I said like This yeah. game against the Warriors Would feel a lot better If they had won One against those Short-handed teams And it just was like I felt like they had Opportunities in those games Going into those games Amari To go ahead and get a win Because I think we both know That there is something About a win That just brings positivity and losing sucks the energy out of you like at the end of the day we all of us that have been a part of teams we know and understand this and so I just feel like they need a win just to kind of keep all of this positive momentum going you're talking about and that's I feel the same way about the defense I understand emphasizing the defense you got to score on the offensive end to keep that energy on the defensive end as well but I mean listen they're two and six Omari but They're 17th in offensive rating, 17th in defensive rating, 20th in net rating. Like that's not incredible, but it's not like they're 30th in all of those things. The only thing they're really at the bottom of the league in is 29th in turnovers, 30th in turnover percentage, 19th in pace. 21st in points per game. Again, fourth in three-point percentage, but 28th in three-point attempts. They're even 24th in free-throw attempts. So as much as we've talked about them not getting to the free-throw line, they're not even dead last in that. So it's just, there's some positive stats here My biggest takeaway from all of those is, and I know I'm a shooter, so I want to see this team do more of it. I wish they would take more three-point attempts. I just wish they would get them up a little bit more, but maybe it's a chicken and egg thing. Maybe they're shooting so well from three because they're taking the right ones and they're not forcing any shots up. So, you know, maybe that percentage drops if all of a sudden they're shooting eight, 10 more attempts per game. Any of those stats stand out to you just team-wise that I just rattled off?
1: Yeah, like you... You know, and I've been checking the stats, too. Like you hear those stats and that doesn't scream two and six. You would think three and five or four and four. You would not think that they were one of the worst teams as far as record right now. So they've been playing better than I think their record suggests. Uh, The three point shooting accuracy is a great sign, again, because most of their shooters are on the bench. So the fact that the other guys have been able to pick up that slack is a great sign because that's only going to get better. And I think the attempts will actually will go up as well when you have Burks and Livers and some of these other specialists come back in that row. So maybe the three-point percentage does fall off as we get deeper into season. But in the grand scheme, it's probably better to be like 15th in attempts and like 12th in percentage than like top five in percentage and bottom five in attempts, right? Because the percentage doesn't mean a whole lot if you're barely topping into that. So still eight games. A lot of these stats are pretty noisy. Like in a month, they'll probably look completely different. But my takeaway is that when you... When I hear those numbers, I don't think, oh, this team sucks. I think, oh, this team that's just either had a tough schedule or something else, but that is not the profile of a team that's bad. That's the profile of a team that is, I guess, average, mid? I don't know, but they're a little bit better than the record looks like.
0: And at the end of the day, Amari, average or mid? I don't know what other people's expectations... Like, I would be ecstatic if this team was average or quote-unquote mid this season after what they were last year and the couple years before that. This team is... 20th in net rating this year. That is, I'm chalking that up as a huge win. And we see K doing the things he's done, but limit the turnovers and up the efficiency just a little bit. That's a win. Killian Hayes does some of this. That's a huge win. Asar is essentially already a win. So there's a lot of positive things throughout the organization, even though I know we nitpicked and, and went at some different things here and there. And so it'd be interesting, again, as, as the team gets healthy, how many games can they start winning? Because I know that's what people really want to see. They want to see wins. And so... When are those going to start coming through? I, I just I, I continue to laugh at the three-point percentages. Burks and Sasser over fifty, Stu's at forty-six, Ivy's over forty, Hayes is at thirty-six, and some of your best shooters haven't even played yet. So there's there's going to be interesting with the depth and the lineups. We talked about this that Monty will have a lot of different ways to go. So when those guys get back, man, do, do you have do you know anything about some of the more recent things? in terms of IVs, illness, Burke's injury, Jalen Duren's ankle, any things you can kind of update us a little bit with those type of things?
1: No big updates beyond we'll get uh, some updates on these guys in the next few weeks. Uh, they announced that injury. The last injury update we got was like right when the season was starting. And I think for Monte Morris, it was three weeks. And then for Livers and Boyan, it was closer to four weeks. So I would expect by... Thanksgiving at the latest, we will probably have a good amount of clarity on where they are as far as that. And speaking of injuries, the team literally just announced like two minutes ago that Joe Harris is also going to be out for 10 to 14 days with that sprained AC joint. So you're looking at the team being really shorthanded again against Milwaukee and just horrible, horrible (laughs) injury luck. I mean, it's just like, I don't know what's going on. I, I I don't know what's going on. Like, it's just crazy to see so many guys out this early, but Hopefully, when we record after Thanksgiving, we will be able to talk about how they look with some of these guys back.
0: All right, we'll be back next week. The Pistons don't play on Monday, so we'll either record late Sunday. I think you're on the road, Amari, so it may still be a Monday evening recording next week. So be on the lookout for that. The engagement tonight was awesome, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in live. If you were in the chat, dropping... I know we couldn't get to everybody. We'll probably do a mailbag, take questions more as the season goes in. But right now, the content is kind of flowing enough that we don't necessarily... have to go that route. But thank you everybody for tuning in live. This was our best one in terms of live viewers in the last couple months. So thank you, everybody listening on podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review. We appreciate you guys. If you're watching on YouTube after the fact, thank you so much. Drop some comments in the bottom. I know we checked those as well. Amari, this was a, a fun one. The energy was good. There's a lot to talk about. The sky's not falling. Hopefully this team gets on the right track, finds a win, but hopefully they keep competing and, and we can continue to find some positive things. Amari, take it away, my guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I echo everything you said. Like, I really don't, I haven't seen anything yet that makes me think that this season is toast. So we'll see. We'll see if things change as we get closer to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I'm still sticking to my prediction that we'll see a late season run. So I close this out. Big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Anzadette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, big shout out to us as always. And we'll talk to you all next week.